questions. Uh, how was it received uh, by the women who made these complaints? Did we hear from them? Yes, thank you for having me. So we heard from uh, his first two accusers, and it's, it's fair to say they rejected his apology. They effectively said they didn't buy it and that it was a non-apology. Uh, Lindsay Boylan, who was the first accuser who said that the governor gave her an unsolicited kiss on the lips, said that he didn't, she didn't find it believable that the, governor's, uh, that, he, that the governor thought his actions were inappropriate. The lawyer for the second woman, Charlotte Bennett, said that the press conference was full of inaccuracies and falsehoods. And it's worth noting the governor hasn't denied the remarks that Ms. Bennett said the governor made, right? She alleges that the governor asked her whether she had slept with older men or was monogamous, uh, remarks that she took uh, as sexual advances. The governor hasn't directed, directly addressed that or denied that. The, uh, the, does, it, does it appear that this will get the governor through uh, the next, what might be a couple of months of this investigation? That uh, certainly there'll be more uh, questions from reporters, uh, but handling it the way he's handled it so far, is this the model for him going forward? Look, I think this isn't a governor that is going to resign on his own volition unless there is an enormous amount of pressure for him to resign. So far, we haven't seen that. Uh, Republicans, not surprisingly, have called on him to resign. And a small but growing number of Democrats have also joined those calls. But most Democrats in the state, including top Democrats like Senator Chuck Schumer and Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, have said that they want this uh, attorney general investigation to play out before they decide what actions are appropriate. The results of that report, which could be months from now, could be politically devastating for the governor. And in fact, today, the leader of the New York State Senate, who's a Democrat, said that if that report were to show that the governor acted inappropriately, that he had to step down. The Pentagon obviously was concerned enough about the optics, as they would put it, of uh, Michael Flynn's brother being involved that they lied about it. And, and so that casts further shadow on Charles Flynn, uh, who may or may not deserve that shadow, as you, as you correctly point out. Uh, what about tomorrow? What about the threat to the Capitol tomorrow? Well, you know, I've long said this is an extremist movement. It didn't start on January 6th. We've actually been dealing with this for decades. You know, the uh, right-wing extremist movement, you know, has its roots in the early 1990s. It has continued. Uh, it has dramatically increased because Donald Trump has given it license. He's romanticized it. He's given these folks permission. And they certainly are pointing to January 6th as a catalyzing moment in this movement. So, you know, we have to make sure we're dealing with this. You know, uh, Secretary, uh, um, FBI Director Ray just this past week said, that this movement is metastasizing, that it is uh, hardening within the country right now. So we're at a really critical juncture. We have to make sure that we are dealing with this aggressively and appropriately. And that means taking the measures that we need to take to secure the capital, to secure our national defense, to secure the American people, but also not responding in a way that gives in to these terrorists, to these extremists, because what they want, Lawrence, is they want us to change ourselves. They want us to change our behavior and who we are, right? So we can't give them that power. We can't give them more power than they deserve here. We need to protect ourselves. We need to do the right thing. But we also have to make sure that we aren't changing who we are. 
let me ask you a question about the, the politics of uh, Governor Abbott's calculation today. And what I'm wondering is, uh, it, it, did he see himself as a governor in trouble because of the stories that have emerged that you've told about a Vietnam veteran dying in his truck because that's where he went to try to get heat? That, that, that what the, the power failure that he was very much a part of designing, uh, that that has him in a, in a, in a tough situation in Texas. And so he reached for a Republican kind of popularity move of saying, throw away your masks. And, and that that's part of a way of trying to restore uh, kind of a, an appeal to that side of the politics of Texas. Yeah, this is uh, kind of like a wag the dog moment where you seek to distract attention. In the case of that movie, it was to go to war in another country. In the case of Texas, it is to go to war on your own people and, and to, um, with, with all certainty, because the science says so, to guarantee the deaths of those who otherwise would have been spared if we just followed the public health advice. These masks are the best thing short of a vaccine in a state where only 6.5% of us are vaccinated to save our lives and the lives of others in our lives. So you, you never know a man's motive. Uh, only Greg Abbott knows, but it sure looks politically convenient to drop this news uh, in the wake of his man-made disaster. And Lawrence, we haven't heard all the stories yet, and I urge you and other journalists to follow the money. When, when you look at what was paid into the Greg Abbott campaign war chest, and, and not uh, you know small checks, $200,000 checks from Encore, um, seven-figure checks, which there's no campaign finance limit in Texas, written by the energy companies. And then look at this. The price for a megawatt hour of electricity in that disaster went from $36, which is the average, to $9,000. Uh, Jerry Jones's company described making out like bandits. They hit the jackpot in, in this one. So um, I, I think there's a lot of corruption involved. We need to follow the money, follow the facts. Let us not stop on, on this story for the benefit of the people of Texas and for the accountability and justice that we deserve. Restrictions are lifted. Alabama, now the latest state announcing an end date for its mask mandate, despite CDC warnings of a potential fourth wave and the race to vaccinate, while U.S. bishops are urging Catholics to avoid Johnson & Johnson's single shot. Now officials are pushing back. Vice President Kamala Harris casting a tie-breaking vote in the Senate showdown over that massive COVID relief plan. What's in, what's out, and how Republicans plan to delay it as long as possible. The women accusing New York Governor Andrew Cuomo of sexual harassment, speaking out what he allegedly said to one woman that made her feel like he was trying to sleep with her. Minneapolis on edge ahead of the George Floyd murder trial, and tonight his brother talking with us, the thing he's dreading most in the courtroom. Powerful earthquakes rocking New Zealand, a tsunami alert triggered. Our NBC News investigation, a shocking unemployment scam, the massive amount of taxpayer money stolen. And Meghan Markle, what she's accusing the royals of doing as the palace announces an investigation into allegations she bullied staff. This is NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt.
Good evening and welcome. No one has declared the pandemic over. In fact, over 1,200 more deaths in this country just today tell us otherwise. And yet the upcoming one-year anniversary appears to be creating a jumping-off point for more and more states, from lifting mask requirements to allowing large gatherings again. Impatience and politics, some public health officials worry, may be leaping ahead of reality, especially with the virus itself shape-shifting into more worrisome variants. 54 million Americans have now gotten at least a single dose of vaccine, and the all-important hospitalization number has ticked down to nearly 45,000. But we are clearly at an unsettling crossroad tonight, and it's where we start with Miguel Almaguer. Tonight, as Americans receive conflicting and confusing messages over COVID safety measures, four states are now preparing to eliminate face mask mandates as top doctors plead for them not to do so. Today, Alabama's governor temporarily extending the face mask order before officially ending it in April. At least 17 states planning to or no longer requiring the simple safety measure that drastically reduces COVID transmission. I get why states are feeling like they want to do this, but it's sort of like, you know, spiking the ball on the 10-yard line. Like, let's get into the end zone. With some fearing politics is trumping science, a Wisconsin state senator shared this photo of tightly packed maskless community members inside the state capitol. It comes as New Jersey gives the go-ahead for weddings with up to 150 people. Mississippi and Texas didn't just end mask mandates, but also caps on capacity. It should be our choice. It's our health. It's our choice. On the front lines of the pandemic, doctors say the move could cost lives. I think the governor's move has really, in effect, added a mountain to the end of our COVID marathon. A year ago today, California declared a state of emergency. Next month, Major League Baseball fans could return to stadiums that are currently vaccination centers. But California joins more states officially identifying the Brazilian variant of the virus, which may be resistant to vaccines. Tonight, an evolving threat as safety measures to protect Americans are being lifted. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News. This is Tom Costello from New York City to the Colorado Rockies. I'll try and be nice and gentle. Adding the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is already helping to drive up inoculation numbers. We could conceivably vaccinate the entire county within weeks. Though for the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, something of a moral dilemma. Like many vaccines, J&J's was developed using fetal cell lines derived from abortifetuses decades ago and multiplied millions of times in labs. In a letter, the bishops tell Catholics, if one has the ability to choose a vaccine, Pfizer or Moderna's vaccines should be chosen over Johnson & Johnson's. But if the J&J &J vaccine is the only option... There's no moral need to turn down a vaccine, including the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is morally acceptable to use. J&J &J says there is no fetal tissue in its vaccine. Pope Francis received the Pfizer vaccine, which used fetal cell lines in testing, not production. In heavily Catholic Louisiana, the governor says the choice is clear. If for reasonable circumstances you are only able to receive the vaccine from Johnson & Johnson, you should feel free to do so. Meanwhile, some Americans have been hesitant to get the J&J &J shot, since the Pfizer and Moderna versions may be slightly more effective. Experts say comparing vaccine trial results is almost impossible since they involve different populations and virus variants. All three of these vaccines have an effectiveness against keeping you out of the hospital 
the intensive care unit and preventing you dying that are in the same ballpark. For vaccine makers, the focus now is on a booster shot and potentially a new version of the vaccine that covers all strains of the virus. Lester? All right, Tom Costello tonight. Thanks. And that... $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill is advancing in the Senate after a tie-breaking vote by the vice president. But there are new hurdles to tell you about. Peter Alexander explains. The vice president votes in the affirmative. Tonight, after Vice President Kamala Harris cast a tie-breaking vote to advance the COVID relief bill in the Senate, Republican Rob Johnson in a last-ditch effort to delay its passage, forcing the clerk to read all 628 pages. Section 1, short title. Section 2, table of contents. Senate Democrats mocking the move. And if the senator from Wisconsin wants to read it, let everybody listen, because it has overwhelming support. But after President Biden signed off on changes that would send direct payments to fewer Americans, individuals making more than $80,000 and couples earning more than $160,000 will now not get a check. Some progressive Democrats complain that compromise is a mistake. Is it really worth saving 0.05% to have less checks go out? This doesn't make much sense to me. Still, Republicans argue it's too expensive. Count me out for a $1.9 trillion spend fest unrelated to COVID in a partisan fashion. Uh, this is everything President Biden said he wouldn't do. At this pace, it'll take the Senate clerks 15 hours to finish reading the bill, but Democrats vow that will not stop them from voting to pass the relief plan this week. Lester? All right, Peter, thanks. Two of three women who have accused New York Governor Andrew Cuomo of sexual harassment are speaking out. With more, here's Ann Thompson. Truly. A day after Andrew Cuomo tried to extinguish the scandal engulfing him. I feel awful about it. And frankly, I am embarrassed by it. Two of the three women accusing the New York governor of sexual harassment speak out, both former employees. Without explicitly saying it, he, he implied to me that I was old enough for him and he was lonely. 25-year-old Charlotte Bennett was an executive assistant to Cuomo. In June, she says Cuomo asked her a series of intimate questions, including whether she had ever been with an older man. I thought, he's trying to sleep with me. The governor's trying to sleep with me. And I'm deeply uncomfortable. Another former aide, Lindsay Boylan, says the governor made inappropriate remarks during her tenure and gave her an unwanted kiss. Today in Harper's Bazaar, Boylan says, I just want the abuse to stop. I'm really not focused on punishment. I am focused on accountability. It's a different story in the state capitol, where the attorney general is expected to soon appoint an independent investigator to look into the claims. Ann Thompson, NBC News, New York. A series of powerful earthquakes struck near New Zealand today. The largest had a magnitude of 8.1, triggering tsunami alerts as far as Hawaii and Central and South America. Some in New Zealand moved to higher ground as a precaution. In just 60 seconds, our NBC News investigation of unemployment fraud. Tens of billions of dollars stolen from those who really need it. The U.S. Senate will consider a sweeping police reform bill named after George Floyd. 
as Minneapolis braces for the most anticipated police murder trial in memory. Here's Gabe Gutierrez. With tensions high in downtown Minneapolis, ahead of next week's jury selection for the murder trial of former officer Derek Chauvin, who knelt on George Floyd's neck, overnight the U.S. House passed a police reform bill in Floyd's name. What it signifies is uh, we have people that understand that what happened on that day was wrong. Louisville, Kentucky banned no-knock warrants following Breonna Taylor's death. After Elijah McClain died, Colorado got rid of qualified immunity, a policy that made it harder to sue police officers. Banning both at the federal level is now part of the reform bill, along with banning chokeholds and creating nationwide databases of police misconduct. In 2021, we don't have a federal database that tracks police officers in America killing people. The House passed a similar bill last year, but it failed in the Republican-controlled Senate. Many Republicans now favor more limited reforms and argue this bill goes too far. Taking away qualified immunity will lead to police officers not taking the decisive actions and rendering impossible to do their job. But for Felonis Floyd, it's a step in the right direction, even as he dreads re-watching the video of his brother's death in court. Who wants to see their brother crying? The officer still sat there on his neck like it was okay. It's never okay to hurt somebody like that. We shouldn't have to go to court for anything like this. We shouldn't have to. Chauvin's attorney has declined to comment ahead of the trial, but he said previously in court filings that Floyd endangered officers by resisting arrest. Question? All right, Gabe Gutierrez, thank you. Another 1.2 million people filed for unemployment or pandemic assistance last week, but below the surface, the huge problem of unemployment fraud. Jolene Kent has our investigation tonight. This is a national pandemic to go along with our own pandemic in terms of COVID-19. When Orange County prosecutors raided this strip mall store in Southern California, they found clothes and backpacks stuffed full of $100 bills, stacks of stolen taxpayer money meant for unemployed workers. There was so much cash, they didn't even know where to put it. Prosecutors say a company called When Social Services filed false unemployment claims. Part of a scheme they say cost taxpayers in California an estimated $11 million alone. Government programs have long been targets of scammers. How is this different? It's not different. Anytime you have an opportunity where people are moving quickly and they have not put safeguards in place, there are people lying in wait. State and federal officials tell NBC News the national scale of fraud during the pandemic has been staggering. In Colorado, officials disclosed that they have seen more fraudulent claims than legitimate ones. An audit in Nebraska found nearly 70% of CARES Act unemployment money was misspent for the first half of last year alone. Several states refuse to tell NBC News how much they've lost in the pandemic. The prime suspects, crime rings, prison inmates, and cyber criminals. It's prompted the Justice Department to launch a 50-state task force. And the Labor Department Inspector General is currently investigating, saying at least $63 billion may have been stolen. Experts say the real amount could soar well above $100 billion, bigger than the Bernie Madoff scandal or Enron. Cybersecurity firm ID.me has been hired by more than 20 states to stop the theft. The Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program allows you 
to basically take any identity and self-assert that you're a driver for a sharing economy app or that you're self-employed, and you can get $20,000 in a debit card. There literally is no other prize that's like that for organized crime. And as the Senate debates a third round of unemployment relief, a warning about fraudsters' next move. They have their next scheme about how to rip us off already in place, and we don't even see it coming. Joe, this is a staggering amount of money. I'm almost afraid of the answer, but who ultimately is paying for all this? It ultimately falls on the taxpayers. Prosecutors tell me a lot of this money has disappeared to offshore accounts. It'll be hard to get it back. Remember, this is taxpayer money meant for unemployed workers. Lester? Yeah, we're all taking a hit. All right, Joe Link, thanks. These days, it can be easy to lose track of things. into bullying had won lurid headline today all-out war at the palace then oprah winfrey released more of her interview how do you feel about the palace hearing you speak your truth today i don't know how they could expect that after all of this time we would still just be silent if there is an active role that the firm is playing in perpetuating falsehoods about us and if that comes with risk of losing things i mean i've there's a lot that's been lost already. The palace not commenting, but earlier said it is clearly very concerned about allegations Meghan bullied royal staff, launching an HR investigation. A report by the London Times newspaper quoted a 2018 internal email not seen by NBC News, saying in part, the Duchess seems intent on always having someone in her sight, Harry and Meghan's team, calling the allegations a calculated smear campaign. The headache for Buckingham Palace tonight, how to put an end to all this, with Sunday's Oprah interview promising more claims and revelations. Lester? All right, Keir Simmons, thanks. Up next, the pandemic's devastating impact on veterans. Life after lockdown and the impact of the pandemic on veterans. Here's Cynthia McVeigh. When Sergio Alfaro joined the Army, he was so young, his parents had to sign the papers. He served as a combat medic. But when he came home, intense PTSD came home with him. I remember going into uh, Trader Joe's one time. I was anxious. I was trying to remind myself, I'm not in Iraq. I'm here in the U.S. Before the pandemic, Sergio says he was doing better than he'd done in a long time. He had a steady job for the first time in years. And while it never went away, the painful voice inside his head had quieted, and then came March of 2020. I was just like, well, I was to isolate, but, but I was fighting for so long not to isolate, to try to communicate with other people and stay in touch with other people. Veterans suffer from PTSD at at least twice the rate of non-vets. COVID has struck many particularly hard. We spoke to four vets with PTSD. When I started getting help, the first thing that the therapist had told me was, you have to stop isolating. So I got to the point where I really got involved with my own support system and people in my life. And then this happened. Did COVID make what you had been going through worse? Yes, everybody. You know, like walking out in Iraq, wondering if this is the day that, you know, you're going to get shot. There are many days that I, I walked out of my house thinking, is today the day I'm going to get COVID and, you know, not recover? A survey from the Wounded Warrior Project showed that since social distancing, more than half of the wounded Iraq and Afghanistan vets surveyed said that their mental health is worse. 
when you're sitting home for, you know, 12 hours a day, seven days a week, the demon has a way of uh, rearing his ugly head. And isolation really spurs that on. Absolutely. you're living in your own head, right? When I got shot by a sniper, I was, I was paralyzed. I spent two years in a wheelchair. I had the COVID back in July. It was worse than getting physically injured in the war. Mentally, it put me to very dark places that I almost pretty much ended up my life if I didn't reach for help. Each of you in different ways have talked about really dark times. But is that just a polite way of saying you've thought about taking your own life? How many of you? All of you. They are acutely aware that nearly 20 veterans died by suicide every day before the pandemic. I've buried more friends by their own hand than I have from the war. All four have been receiving counseling during the pandemic. Without it, how confident are you you'd be sitting here tonight? I'm going to be. Calls to the Veterans Crisis Line are up nearly 15%. But a glimmer of hope. So far, preliminary data from the VA have not shown a spike in veteran suicide. If there's someone out there right now, uh, a veteran, listening to all of you, what do you want them to know? I'd rather sit with you for 10 hours on a phone than, than sit and give you know a speech at your wake any day of the week. I'm begging you, like, please go get some help. Don't wait. There's a lot of good things that you can still get out of life. Cynthia McFadden, NBC News. All right, up next for us tonight, adopting a server in need, inspiring America's Finally, I want you to meet a mother and daughter matching restaurant workers in need during this pandemic with those eager to help. Happy birthday, dear. Devin just had a dream fifth birthday, frozen themed with a rainbow cake and a pile of presents. Thank you so much, Dad. All made possible by the kindness of strangers. Her dad, Lawrence, was a server at a Louisville restaurant and laid off in March. It's really hard being a single dad, trying to give your girls a good life with the circumstances that we're in right now. Struggling to pay his bills, Lawrence turned to a Facebook group called Adopt a Server, which matches restaurant workers in need of help with members of the community looking to give it. I've never experienced this kind of generosity and kindness from perpetrators. Mother and daughter Hannah and Patty Kohler started the Louisville group, one of several around the country. They served us for so long in our community, and we just wanted to get back to them. Were you overcome by the amount of need that's out there? There would be days that I'd sit in my office reading the post, and I would just sit here and cry for hours, just knowing that the need is that great. They've helped with everything from cat food to electric bills. Kayla, a teacher, among those who adopted Lawrence, sending necessities and gifts for Devin's birthday. To make her day, that made my day. A kindness Lawrence hopes one day to repay. I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much. If you would like to help, you can find out more about charitable organizations on our Facebook page. That's Nightly News for this Thursday. I'm Lester Holt. Thank you for watching. Please take care of yourself and each other. Good night. Because nothing certain, as we have learned over this difficult last year, is can policymakers and Americans together hold the virus at bay long enough that we can escape one more huge wave that costs tens of thousands of lives needlessly.
And on that score, there's some really disturbing news today out of the state of Texas, which is, of course, still recovering from that disastrous winter storm and catastrophic energy grid failure. Today, Governor Greg Abbott rescinded the state's mask mandate and declared Texas open for business. Effective next Wednesday, all businesses of any type are allowed to open 100%. That includes any type of entity in Texas. Also, I am ending the statewide mask mandate. Did you hear that? I heard that. Just like that. No masks there of anyone in the room. Why would you want to wear masks if you're about to reopen the state? So Texas is reopening just like that, 100%. No business restrictions. No business restrictions. Think about that. Any business. There are lots of, say, nightclubs in Texas. You think nightclubs are a good thing to operate right now? And the mask mandate is repealed. Now, it is one thing when you say we're going to let businesses open back up, even though I think foolish with respect to certain businesses, but businesses really are struggling, right? There's this awful trade-off that policymakers are making. But there is no upside to repealing a mask mandate at this point in the pandemic. In fact, mask usage is what could help you open up more safely. I mean, take a look at these charts just to get a sense of, of what we're talking about here. This shows the weekly deaths recorded in Texas from the beginning of 2014 to the end of 2019. And what you can see, all those gray lines year after year after year grouped in a pretty narrow band with a bit of an outlier here or there, but relatively consistent. Now look at what the pandemic looks like. Look what COVID did. Those red lines are weekly deaths from 2020 in the first few months of 2021. Both the gray and red lines are deaths from all causes, but it shows you just how devastating this virus has been. And yes, deaths have dropped down, but why would you want them to go back up? Not only that, Texas is behind much of the country in vaccinations. Less than 13% of the state has received at least one dose. That's near the bottom of the ranking. And yet the governor of Texas thinks now is a good idea to repeal the mask mandate as if that costs anyone anything. To open everything, 100%, including, like, nightclubs. Despite all the federal guidance that masks are key to preventing a new wave of COVID cases and deaths, and it's not just Governor Abbott making this terrible decision. Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves also announced his state would reopen and repeal mask mandates, even though their vaccination rate in Mississippi is barely better than Texas. And what makes this all the more maddening is that at the end of this week, Hopefully, the Senate could pass the president's $1.9 trillion COVID relief package that will send much-needed aid to states and businesses and people who are unemployed and those making less than $75,000 a year, basically designed to help everyone ride this out safely to suppress the virus for the 8 or 12 more weeks it could take to get to a much better place. If only we can hang on collectively as a nation. Joined now by Hiberto Inoosa, he's the chair of the Texas Democrats, and Olivia Troy, a former member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, who is originally from El Paso, Texas. Now, Mr. Inoosa, let me start with you and ask um, your reaction to the governor's announcement today. Insanity. I'd like to say that that the governor Abbott has lost his mind um, by doing this. You know, when we have ninety percent of the people in the state of Texas that haven't been vaccinated, um, we're 49th in the country in vaccine distribution. Um, we have some of the highest rates of COVID uh, in the nation and, and the highest number of deaths uh, in 
among all the states in the country. But uh, what he's doing now is something that has nothing to do with what's right and wrong, but everything to do with politics. I don't know if you know this, but um, the Republican uh, executive committee in the state of Texas condemned him for having a mask mandate. The chairman of the Republican Party in Texas demonstrated in front of the governor's mansion because he did this and because he closed down the businesses and threatened to run against him. What Greg Abbott is doing is putting his own political career over the interests of the people of the state of Texas. He doesn't care about the fact that if he does this right before spring break, right before where I am from, thousands of big kids are going to be coming to South Padre Island, gathering in, in restaurants and bars, shoulder to shoulder, and, and, and making themselves vulnerable to this disease that they're going to take home to their parents and their grandparents uh, and, and, and cause a huge spike in this virus in the state of Texas just when we were getting things together to try to defeat it. This is something that um, I, I, I believe shows that Governor Abbott's got to be the worst governor in the state of Texas right after the colossal failure that left the state citizens without power and with, uh, without water. He then does this. Um, this is just something horrible, and I hope to God that people understand that this governor has to go. Uh, he has caused so many problems in the state, caused so much harm. I'm in the from the Rio Grande Valley. I it just was a few weeks ago when there was trailers outside uh, of funeral homes full of bodies because they didn't have anywhere to keep them in the mor mortuaries. When they had lines of ambulances waiting in front of hospitals because there was no room in the hospitals and people were dying, mothers and fathers and grandfathers were dying all over the Rio Grande Valley. Um, and because they had no access to health care because the state refuses to accept expanded Medicaid, they were getting into a situation where families were dying, were, were being infected with, with this disease every single day across the Rio Grande Valley. It's going to get worse now than he's listed this, the, the mandates in the state of Texas. I just don't understand why he's doing this, and this is going to create all sorts of problems for our state. Hey, thanks for watching our YouTube channel.